Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone, this is Nina from Dope Black Mums. And this episode might sound a little different, but it's a really good one. So don't go anywhere. For the first time ever, Dope Black Mums and Dope Black Dads have teamed up to cover the crucial topic. And that is adoption learned so much during this podcast and it was a really good talk um, just to have a think about all the myths um, and just all the preconceptions we have about adoption so please listen comment share let us know what you think this is the Dope Blad Dad podcast my name is Marvin Harrison today I'm joined for a very special edition of the Dope Blad Dad podcast and the reason why I phrase it this way is because for the first time in over two years I have been joined by the intelligent, witty, wonderful, beautiful, smart Nina Malone. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nina. How are you? <laughs> Why, thank you for having me. I am great. Thank you. Good to be we here. We never do podcasts together, ever. We just speak in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a really exciting podcast. We both had this conversation about the idea and you know it's really nice to have someone come and join us firsthand to have this conversation with us he is a dope black dad himself and the topic we're talking about today is adoption and the reason why it's so important is because i think quite often there's a lot of information that has been presented or uh, maybe some old assumptions that have been created about adoption and now we get the chance to speak to a dope black dad about doing so but we also have his daughter with us She's not a child anymore, though. We just was discussing the fact that you're an adult. You're not, you're 19 in the next couple of days. So we have Erod. Is it Erod? Is that the correct way of saying it? Yeah, Erod. That's correct. And Amara, how are you doing? We're good. Is that correct? Have I got that right? If I haven't, we've yeah, just wasted yeah. six minutes. Because well you didn't done. respond. I was like, I, did, I said that right, right? I did it. I read it and it said that. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Nina, what's your thoughts on let's start with the, the sort of what you understand before we go into it Nina what was your understanding of adoption what was possible and, and kind of how it worked yeah so I think the main things for me is it all feels really difficult like the process feels long and tricky I get scared about forms anyway I wonder from the recent talks that I've had if you have to have a certain amount of money in your savings do you have to have a certain level of job a mortgage? Do you have to be in a steady relationship? I was thinking, you know, is it is it open for everyone? And I know obviously in the black community, we're not adopting as much as we should. So I wonder if these are, you know, barriers that we could talk about today. I think what's really interesting for me is like, we both have a fear of different paperwork from a different point of view. I really hate the idea of logistical probing. I think the probing would be more you know there's sometimes when you like do an interview with somebody and you don't actually know what they're looking for so you don't know what to say so you're like I do watch football every Saturday is that a bad thing like I don't want my life judged so I just you know I would probably create barriers off the back of not wanting to share lots of stuff about myself that probably is a very important and authentic thing to share but you know Eric what, what was your actual experience I'd be love to know first and foremost what made you do it and what was your experience of it 
Uh, well, let's talk about why we adopted. Um, we have two boys, we had twin boys, so we decided we were going to start our family. Um, we had some fun and then two came along. <laughs> and, um, I was like, what's the fun? What does that look like? I don't understand. I, like, I really <laughs> went through that process of asking the questions. Sorry. And, and then we said, not doing that again for a while. Because <laughs> you end up with four. You're like, oh my God. So we waited for a while. But during the process of waiting, my wife Pearl developed fibroids or, or her fibroids got worse and worse and worse. So she became quite ill with it. She was then given a choice. And the choice was, you can have a hysterectomy, you can have a, a myomectomy. But the, a hysterectomy is probably what's going to happen. And as a result of surgery, she had her womb removed. And so we couldn't have any more children, but we'd always wanted a daughter. We always wanted to have a daughter. And Pearl was complaining that there was too much testosterone in the house because there were twin boys who were playing rugby and there was dad. And she had nobody to talk about makeup with. And you can see from the preamble to this call that we got straight into seconds, it didn't we <laughs> talking about tinted decent you know so it's not just tinted this though we're talking about fenty this is a whole nother <laughs> tier whole other tier of product we're talking about uh, Aaron, so, be careful now you're you're, you're, know, you're minimizing real things for people on, on dangerous ground. but we, we we needed to have a daughter and um we were blessed that we Went through the process. It is a, a difficult process. It is intrusive. There are lots of forms. Did you find it scary yes. at all, the process, or was it quite straightforward for you? I don't think scary is the right term. I think invasive yeah. is a term that I'd use, but it's not scary. You have to go into a doctor with the mindset that you've got nothing to hide. Right. And to be honest, you can't, you don't worry about your past, your past endeavors, because these things happen in families all over the world and all over the country. These are all the things that have happened to you have happened to other people. But the, the, the adoption services are not as concerned about your history, it's about where you are now and whether you can provide a stable home and environment for a child. So there are lots of people who are, you know, I'm single, can I adopt? I know people who are single who've adopted. Am I too old? Not really. If you're in your 50s, you can still adopt. And there are many, many kids out there who just need, just need somebody adult in their life that they can trust. Um, Amara, how, how old were you when you were adopted, just very quickly? Because I think it'd be important to understand the context and timing. Um, I was two, nearly three. Oh, baby. Basically. Yeah, about a month before her third birthday, she came to us. So she came yeah. to us in July. And at what point uh, do you, do what, what point do you remember? You know, I think do you remember before? Do you remember past the point? What was that experience like? When did you become conscious of it? I remember. Ooh, I remember the an outing we had to do before I was actually adopted. Mm. Do you like outings? Yes. Like they take me out as a family before I was actually in the family. Amazing. Um, so yeah, I remember one of those. But um, I've always known that I was adopted. Like, that was never anything they hid from me. They always told me. The reason why I ask is because, like, you know, me and Nina's our children. Sometimes I think about uh, my daughter's three and a half uh, and my son's five, almost six. And I think, how much do they remember at these ages? Because now I'm 37. I don't remember anything. <laughs> my earliest <laughs> memories, maybe six, five, six, and a couple of flashbacks. But to think that you can remember something at two, three is really, really powerful. Because I think that's also maybe something that people may consider is just, you know, how much do I have to deal with from a time when I wasn't around into now and what that tra transition is what was like. Er Erin, what was the considerations for you 
when you you know decided to adopt from from that point of view in terms of what the impact would be on the child one of the things that we learned on the adoption courses we went on was this every child that's in adoption has a story so every child that's coming through the social care service has had a significant event that has registered with their consciousness so if you've been removed from your mother at two or three you're probably going to remember it or you're going to probably have it's probably going to have some impact on your life uh, and therefore kids who are adopted do have these memories it's one of the things that is very important that you understand when you meet an adult you know if i was to meet nina and at an event i'd probably say to her hi nice to meet you my name's eric what do you do and she would tell me, I'm a, I do this or I do that. You never think of doing that with a child. You never go up to Johnny with his ice cream and say, what do you do for, what have you done the last couple of years? Because he's a child. But every child that's in care that comes and is adopted is there because of something that happened in the past. So you have to be sensitive to the fact that there will be triggers for children who are adopted that other kids just don't have. And did you have any so fear about those triggers or, or about stories or, or the experiences or the events in her life before she came to you? Did you have any fear walking into that as in, no, how am I going to parent no, because, this? Because we've always been open with the mind that she was adopted. And some of the things that we've learned over the years, we've learned together. I mean, simple things. They always told us that simple things, it's all the normal events, it's birthdays weddings funerals people getting sick in hospital people dying that is the normal course of life for a family are things that cause an adopted child to think hmm, i wonder if my mother or father's alive i wonder if my mum or dad are sick do i have siblings do i not have siblings because you're celebrating somebody's 18th birthday and everybody's running around jumping on the the bouncy castle and having fun and then you'll find the adopted child in the corner and they're thinking about what if what if what if and that's why it's important to have an open conversation with your adopted child from the from day one what what about like your your existing sons you know because i i was a third child so i was the youngest for about six years i was very much attached to the idea of being the youngest i liked being special it was my usp and then it was eroded when my little sister turned up. She was cute and warm and everybody liked her and yeah. gave her stuff. All my pound coins went to her. I was furious. I was livid. What was that experience like for your boys? What did they say to you or how did you break it to them? Well, they were involved. They were very involved in the process. They would be interviewed by social services when we were interviewed. They went through very much the same process as we did. And they were asked what would they want from a sibling? What would they do? How would they feel? they both really wanted to have a sibling because they wanted to be big brothers so from their perspective they had an option to be big brothers but because we had twins as they were growing up we dressed them the same and all those twinsy things you do and they were always the cute ones in their leather trousers and their jackets and all of that and then amara came along and you know there were two pounds so it wasn't just a quid two pounds went for her so it was like it was a double whammy so she could tell you about how she felt about that um but they cut very well and they 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 love her to bits their peers love her to bits she's very much their sister nobody messes with her and and how old were they when you're having these conversations how old were they how old were the boys they were seven to eight years old they'd just gone into secondary school so they were what we call i used to call first and second year secondary school 
Yeah, yeah, seven and eight. Yeah, seven and eight. Yeah, so that's eight, uh, 11, 12. Yeah. Okay. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Amara, how did you find the experience? Because, you know, as big brothers, you know, my little sister, you know, you fart, you fart on them and you like, you know, play practical yeah. jokes and you like, you know, you rub their heads with your knuckles and headlocks yeah. was really popular. How, how, what was the experience like for you? Um, I got all of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so many times Pierce would be like trying to wrestle me on the sofa and mum would just be screaming at him. Um, <laughs> yeah, he still does it today, actually, even though he's big and grown. He still he still does it. But they're still very, very protective over me. They're very, um, they always look out for me. They always make sure I'm safe. I know if I'm ever in danger or in any kind of trouble, they just come running. So, yeah, we do have a very good relationship. That's amazing. And then I suppose, like, you know, the the big key challenges, what were some of the hurdles that you had to face that you maybe didn't think about? Was there just little textures? I assume you did the course and, and you know, they tell you things, but was there just things that you weren't able to, you know, understand how big the scale was, was until it actually happened? I don't think... I, I actually found the course was really, really useful. Also, not just for bringing up children but it also helped me at work um, when I was going through the adoption process one of the things that I was not aware of was how many people that you work with have been through the care system right. so when I told my HR manager that we were planning to adopt because you had to inform your HR manager and they would call them and ask you know does he steal your petty cash or whatever they asked them I don't know I sat down with my HR manager and we had a conversation and she goes, if you want to understand how people turn up who have been through the care system, tell your peers that you're adopting. So I said, okay. So then I told people, oh, we're adopting. We're adopting a little girl, her name's Amara. And there were probably about five or six people in the office who then came forward and said, oh, I was in care. I was fostered. And there's one lady who's still a family friend now. She comes to some of our family events. She was adopted with her brother. And um, she has never sought out her birth family, but her brother did. So even within sibling pairs, adults continue some of the traits that existed as a child. And what I've, what I've grown to appreciate is that those early starts sometimes help you to understand the characters that they are when you're older so it helped me when i manage people when i manage teams i would see traits that i saw when we went to adoption picnics or we met other adopted children the traits you saw in the child that you saw in adults and you go hmm would you consider yourself specifically more emotionally intelligent than than other men that you may know or friends or because it sounds like what you're saying to me is that you just had a real awareness of of people and maybe that course helped you do that or, or do you think no. that's normal for dads no i'm not i'm not saying i was more emotionally intelligent what happened is that they beat you at, in the course i'll give you an example we had a, a situation in one of the courses and they had lots of couples about probably six or seven couples who were there who wanted to adopt a child and they said to you we want to go back to junior school we want to go back to one of the you know a great event a great achievement you did between the ages of four and ten it could be you were the captain of the football team or you hit a six over the score or, you know, you were the number one 
play of netball, pick an achievement that you were really, really proud. And we want you to write one page of notes because you're going to tell the class about it. And so we all sat there and we gave us like 30 minutes. We all sat there with our pencils. We were writing and we were thinking about, oh my God, that time when I scored the goal and blah, blah. And then we handed it all to the, to the lecturer and she proceeded to tear them up into pieces. That's she painful. just ripped them up. Mm. Now, if you can imagine, there were probably six, seven couples and half of these couples were blokes who started to get up <laughs> and were about to rush this woman. We suddenly, and she said, stop, stop, stop. You see that way you feel? She goes, when you have children or adopt children and you don't give them time, when they're trying to tell you something, i.e. dad, can I have a word because, and you go, oh, I'm busy, I'm just on a phone call today. That's how your child feels. I just gave you so shivers, that, that is that brilliant. You have, remember it when your child comes and say, dad, I need to talk. And stop what you're doing and give them the time of day because that's the emotional turmoil that the child is going through. And when you're adopted, it's even more intense. So I don't think I was more emotionally intelligent, but I learned that I needed to make time to be with Anaya. One, because she was adopted, but two, because she's a girl. And girls are very different to boys. One of the first things Amara said to me, <laughs> she must have been about seven, eight, she said, Dad, we need to talk. And I went, yes, yes, in a moment. She goes, no, we need to talk now. And what was this talk? And I looked at her and I thought, this is, this is genetic. And then she goes, and then I said, okay. And I have this saying, you know, I don't, I, I don't listen with my eyes, I listen with my ears. And she goes, no, you need to close your laptop and we need to have a conversation. We're having this conversation oh right God. now. <laughs> it was like, you have to give time. And that five minutes, 10 minutes, it's time for you and your child to communicate. It's really beautiful because I think uh, uh, even for, I watched the interview with, uh, I think it was Will Smith and Kevin Hart. And they were yes. talking about the red table talk and they were talking about, you know, how people, if people's feelings in their home and they go out in the world and they're like a leader and then they come back to the home and they can't apply the same frequency to the people that they love that are in their home. And it's a sort of beautiful awakening of these two powerful world-changing men understand that they are on the wrong side, they're, that what's intuitive to them is on the wrong side of like a peaceful and harmonious home and it does take some some conscious thinking so when you gave that example of you know tearing up that piece of paper i you know that's really transformative it makes me think about how many times i pause my children to like attend to something else and showing them that they're really important because we have an evidence of what you know how beautiful that is in front of us i don't know how we can ignore that now good what really just stood out for me is i want to do that course just for life I think there's so many crossover skills that, that we all need. Absolutely. And just to top up, you know, when you kind of lose your way, it sounds like a really, really good grounding of a course in general. I've said to adoption agencies all the time, they should offer these courses to people who just want to be parents yeah, and or to people who want to manage other people because yeah. it, it does help you think about how your words and actions impact other people. Yeah, and totally. one, are you getting that message across that you're trying to communicate clearly and empathetically so that it's it's done in a way that doesn't offend, but you're still making hard points if you need to? It's really useful. It sounds amazing. And as you were saying that, it made me also wonder about your boys. Was there mm -hmm. anything that you did to think about or preempt or kind of facilitate bonding with all of the children? Did you consciously think about it? No, I don't. 
from our perspective, myself and my wife, Pearl, we have three kids. Even to the point that when at school there was an incident and they discovered that Amara was adopted, they couldn't believe she was adopted because we have never, ever treated her any differently to the, the other two kids. She's our child. She does all the things they have to do. It's the same rules and there is no difference. I know they're saying families, you have favorites. You might have a favorite child or, or not a favorite child, but when it comes to kids who are adopted, an equal hand is all they want from you. I'm the favorite. She's the favorite. You're the favorite. I have a favorite. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't, wasn't going to give her that kudos because her <laughs> brothers don't and her, her mother don'ts and her I don't and her, so yeah, she's the favorite, but hey, whatever. I think that's a real thing. I think there's this sort of like culture of like, you don't have a favorite child, but it's just like, you may, you may not, you know, treat them better or worse, but you have someone that you have a bit more vibe with that you go do more things with that likes the things that you like. How do you not avoid like slightly indirectly being like, let's go to a football game together because you yeah, really absolutely. like football. I, I took both my kids to the football and my son mm. was like, inventing chants and he was like when are we going back again he's like i really like qpr daddy like he's been talking about it ever since like you know like oh we're gonna we're gonna have football connection together like you know it's really hard to be like in that moment that was a moment but also my daughter rings me with such passion she's like daddy what are you up to like what's going on it's like I, you know, there's moments that you have where there's like imbalance and I need them to know that I love them equally, but also someone's going to be my favorite at different points and they should fight for it. They should fight for that. <laughs> they're favorites in different ways. They're favorites in different areas. So you'll have one that's your football buddy, but you have, when it comes to my, my is my reading buddy. We, we both love books. So, you know, we'll sit together on the set and read and have a cup of tea, but then with the boys, we'll go off and watch a rugby match. So there are different elements of you that each child will bring out of you. And children do that. It's not just about what you can put into them. They drag stuff out of you. They say things that embarrass you, but because they're your kids, they can tell you truths that can be quite difficult as parents. And I think that it's both ways. It's both ways. You have to be open to have that drawn out of you as well. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Amara, I'm, I'm really passionate about knowing what it's like to be chosen. So like, as I mentioned earlier, I was the, the bottom child, bottom child, the third child, I was the youngest. And, you know, I really liked that position. And, and then it's like someone to consciously sit there and be like, I want you in my family. And you're already here. Like, I suppose there's some sort of spiritual, you know, in some beliefs in spirituality, you know, you choose your children or your children choose you and your job is to bring them to life as a vessel. But you are a person and they were like, I want that one. That must feel pretty amazing right it does yeah um, does it? yeah of course of course also, i don't ever feel like i'm the extra child or like mm. additional child when we meet new people or whenever i was introduced to people at church or anything mm. it was just always um these are our three kids this is amara she's the youngest and it's could you tell so, so 
so so you know representation and intersectionality is really important we all have these things that i think we're now communicating so like women are saying how they want to be spoken to queer communities are saying how i want to be spoken to is there something around being an adopted child that the faux pas that people commonly make is there anything you can share just to make so you know anybody communicating with an adopted child they don't make the same mistakes i feel like there's a lot of the um like preconceived notions that people have about care kids like they're problem children or you're not going to love the child the same or the child's going to be nothing like you yeah stuff like that a lot of people say that kind of stuff to me and I think they forget that I'm an adopted child <laughs> so obviously it does bother me and also those really intrusive questions about um obviously I'm light my dad's dark my mum's a lot darker than me. Both my brothers are a lot darker than me. And if I'm out with any one of them, people will be like, oh, you know, they just make sense. How does this work? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, um, you know, did, did your mum cheat? And it's just like, that's not, that's not funny. Like, that's not um, a funny joke to me. No, it's not funny. And it's not you, appropriate. Do you know, um, I get this being mixed race. I get, how, I often get, how do you two know each other? It's like, well, that's, that's my mum. Just, yes this exactly. happens when, i get yeah. it most of the time with my brother though my older brother pierce because he's really dark and he's got dreads and um, we'll be like oh we're siblings like this is literally my older brother and everyone's just like mm, no a bit so what, what do they like, believe's happening no i don't believe you <laughs> literally i'm just like i don't know what you want me to do like <laughs> he's my brother, he's my brother. <laughs> that's all it is but I also you in, in many ways you don't want to have to explain every exactly. time someone gets to you should be able just to say that as a sentence and people accept it i think this is this is where there's a bit of a learning in education because especially within blackness we obviously look at each other and make deductions as to proximities to how black you are while you mixed are you light skin are you you know <laughs> what are you mixed with and everyone and what country are you from but what are you really from all those kind of questions i think we're starting to get to a point where they're just like they don't work because identity is is has means so many different things and family means so many different things. We've kind of gone through an era now where like blended families is a thing and we've normalized like people having extended families in different ways, not just the kind of nucleus 2.4 children. So the questions you may ask because of your assumptions actually then become really invasive and intrusive and not actually, you know, based on what actually is happening. So, uh, you know, is, is, you know, Nina, I suppose even you have a mum's group. Do, is, what kind of progressions are you seeing in terms of like family dynamics and how people are sort of adopting to them? Yeah, well, I think right now the conversation is just really trying to get away from the fairy tale messaging of 2.4 children and a white picket fence. We're having conversations of women who are having different setups you know you've got blended families of all different types you've got children who are choosing the pronouns that they feel they identify with these are stories and these are ideas and feelings that are, it's fresh isn't it it's fresh for us and it's fresh for our community and i think it's just happening i think the main thing is to let the child know you are there we are here to speak whatever you want to say talk to us and like you were saying earlier, Arid, listen to them. If your child's there trying to speak to you, really, really listen to them. And don't pretend you're listening. Actually be present and listen. You know, look out for all those cues, whether the child is verbally talking to you or talking to you in some other subconscious way. You know, watch your child and look out for things that are changing. 
because they're taking it all in, aren't they? All these changes, all these things that are happening, the way that we react to these changes, they're seeing how we how we navigate that. So the conversations that we're constantly having in the groups is just to try and be as aware as possible and listen to your child because you want them to come to you for the small stuff and the big stuff. This, you know, you, you, you need to be open and you need to be available for all of that. And um, I think that's, that's the game, you know, our, our children are young, they're three and a half and five. So we're kind of at, you know, manager mode right now, but I'm very aware I'm going into consultant very soon, you know, that that's going to be, I'm moving into that space. So I want to be there side by side and have this conversation. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take it day by day, but trying to start as young as possible. So to really understand what they feel in these situations, because yeah, they're taking it all in, aren't they? Amara, I have a curveball. We're going to pretend that Errol isn't there, your dad isn't there for just a moment. But like, if you could, if just, let's just imagine you're standing at a lectern. There's a hall of people in front of you. They're all either a spectrum of like absolutely no idea about how adoption works. Some of them are considering it. Some are done are, are willing to do it and are waiting. And you know, if you could stand there and explain to them some of the the best things to to consider to do uh, when you've adopted a child, and some of the things that you should be considering and and and, and be aware of to a room full of potential parents, what would you say to them? Because I think your your understanding is probably the richest because you are the recipient of a process which many of us sort of misunderstand. What about you both are though? But yeah. Yeah. Um, probably always be open for conversations about the most random things. Because <laughs> a lot of things that I see or hear or experience just bring up a whole load of questions and thoughts and I'm the type of person that will keep that to myself and just overthink and dwell on it and get really sad um and you don't want your kid to do that so you always need to make sure there's an air of openness where any little thought or any little trigger that comes up it can be dealt with it can be spoken about you can have those conversations mm-hmm. over ice cream <laughs> <laughs> ice cream helps doesn't it <laughs> Also, I'd say it's good to have people that have also been adopted around in the circle, just so that you have some a safe space. Look up to in a while, people who understand. Yeah. And do you have that people around you that have been adopted? Yeah, so you've got Uncle B, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of Uncle B, my dad's brother. It's my brother. Yeah. I have a brother called Barrington, and um, when we were young, probably just going into secondary school, his mum and my mum and dad were very close, but she was much older than them, and she died later on when he was in his late teens, early 20s, and her request to my parents is that they would bring him up and they would look after him, and we've grown up as brothers, and um, he's he's Uncle B, and, and he... He doesn't have the same family name as me, but anywhere we go, we introduce ourselves as brothers. We don't look alike. We don't dress alike. He's very dapper. Everybody says he's the younger <laughs> You're one. Dapper. So, You're dapper. He's so cool. And I'm kind of the granddad look. And no, like, yes, dad. you do. No. And, um, <laughs> yes, they do. No. They, they will say, oh, I'm so surprised Uncle B is, is older than you. Didn't you say that? I did. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. And they, and they all say that. But, I love him to pieces, he's my brother. And 
I was going to say something in response to you, Nina. If if our community, and I'm talking about the black community, are honest, honest, proper honest, our families have always been blended. Yes. Because when weddings come along or funerals, you find that your uncles and aunts, you know I'm going with him, Mark. Aaron, I, 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 I'm just going to sip some water. Brother, father, sister, Look, cousin. Yeah, I meet new cousins Whoa. every month. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. And then you say, but this is your brother from Kingston. I didn't know I had a brother from Kingston. We have always been blended. So the blending thing is like, come on, folks. We've had our own form and version of blending for years. We've got brothers who are 20 years old and the sisters who are 16 years younger than us. <laughs> aunts who are younger than us. We've had all kind of mix up, mix up. And we're still family. Adoption is just a, it's an extension of that. You're, it's part of your family. Mm. And the colour and the, the fun and the stories of your family. That's all it is. You, you're right. So, so what is it then? What, why does it feel so big? Why does it feel so, um, so other to us? Just putting that word adoption in front of it, because you're right, of course, we, we've um, all got blended mixer, mix-up in our family. Mix-up in our family. I think one of the things, and I, I'm talking from the position of guys that I've spoken to, is that there is this, there's two things. One, there is this thing about I have to have my own children because I'm a man. There's that bit. And the other thing is that a lot of our, in our families historically, having many children in your family has been an idea of, pros not prosperity, but you have a family. So in the instance where people cannot have kids, for example, it's almost like they failed. There's a shame. There's a there's lot a, of shame and guilt around that. Involved that if you, you have to get somebody else's child to make sure to have a family, it's kind of, there is this, this I don't know, the shame that attached with adoption, which is more about you than the child, is more about you than the family. And I think that we need to talk about these things is that, you know, if, if my brother in Jamaica had a child that I didn't know who came along and said, I'm your, you're my uncle, and we brought them into our family, what's the difference? Mm, you wouldn't think twice about it. You wouldn't think twice about it. So why is it so difficult to bring somebody into your home and treat them as family? And when I look at the whole Winnie Rush thing, this is something I've been talking to my wife Pearl about recently. Everybody that came on Winnie Rush were family. Because you, when you send for people, you didn't send for your neighbour, you didn't send for the policeman, you sent for your brother, your sister, your, your cousin, you sent for family. So we're already family. So what's this big deal? Do you, do you think there's been a, a loss in community? It's probably like a different point now, but do you think that community has been lost? And what would you attribute the, the kind of loss of community to? Life. The struggles of life. People are so beaten up that they're focused on themselves and surviving. In the past, in my mum and dad's era, 1950s, early 60s, you couldn't survive on your own. You had to survive as a community. Black man had to walk with black man. We still today, when we see another black man, we nod our heads. We don't even know why we do it. It's because you say, bro, I'm here. Why? Because trouble kicks off, I'm with you. Because that's how our parents survived. They survived together. Now, everybody's trying to survive on their own because it's just life. It's the struggles of life. The struggles of life in the 1960s was that the teddy boys, the, the mods, were all coming after you. So life was about standing together, starting your own churches, starting your own clubs, start, you know, starting a club in Notting Hill that we could go to and dance. Your own safe you spaces. get let into any other club. You started, you, you, you bought houses and rented out the rooms to your, 
to your people because you couldn't get rooms elsewhere. Mm. So the sense of community life drove a lot of that community spirit. And we've lost that because we haven't maintained the fact that we are here to support each other to succeed. It's now all about me. I'm getting on. And I think that's got a lot to do with how the community is today. What's really interesting about it is that there, I watched a documentary about Compton as the actual place, oh, yeah. and they spoke about something very similar where the origins of gangs was to you know protect other black people from the uh, white middle class who uh, originally lived in Compton. And so they came together to kind of, you know, and they cornered off streets and it was how we protected our community. And then through the extension of that and through the poverty that was brought in with all the white money that left the, uh, the area meant that they created this sort of extreme culture of like your group versus my group because it became uh, an internal mentality. And it's really interesting to see the evolution of where gangs come from and how they mm -hmm. evolved. And it all started off with protection from whiteness. And we never really discovered that or discussed that in a healthy way. It always is kind of like black people just have gangs and we're into violence. It's like, no, this is a culture that was created to survive because I, you know, this culture doesn't exist outside of those circles. You know, if you go to a, you know, a well-to-do well, well -to -do neighborhood in Jamaica, it's not like black equals gangs that we just get together and create a middle-class gang of well-to-do-ness. It's usually when it's compacted with, you know, some sort of extreme survival uh, environment. Can, can you just tell me a little bit more about what it was growing up? I'm, I'm assuming you grew up in the 70s. I don't, I don't know if that's correct mm -hmm. or not. Yes, what, what was that yeah. actually like as a, as a black man? I just, I'm just curious and I'd love to know. As a black man growing up in the 70s, it was challenging... <laughs> from an identical point of view. You were told at school you were British, but you'd be walking through Catford, South East London, or Brixton, South West London, and you'd be chased by the National Front. When I was in my teens, there was this thing called Banachek. I don't know if anybody remembers Banachek, but Banachek is where um, a white person went out with a black person, and both communities beat up the, the appropriate member of that, of that couple. It was, it, growing up in the 70s was hard because the local community was trying to figure how to assimilate all these different looking people into their community. And it was easy to pick us out because we looked different. Um, it wasn't as easy to pick out the Irish until they opened their mouths, but it was easy to pick out the black people. So, you know, we were always a target. We were a target on the roads. We were a target with the police. They used to have police vans called Black Mariahs. They just pick you up and throw in the back. It wasn't until my dad didn't really, my dad always thought it was us, the young black youths who were getting into trouble and not being the law and all this, until one of our neighbors who was his age got picked up in the local mall and beaten by the police. Then he realized that there was a problem. So until one of the fathers got abused, it was all a you lot. You pick them need to come and be able to certify. When the policeman say yes, you say, yes, sir. And we're saying, no, it's not like that, dad. You don't understand. You know, we get picked up, we get thrown in the back of vans. You know, my my brothers and I went shopping for my mum and we got stopped because they said somebody fitting your description just burgled the house. Black in those days, we had one of these trolleys on wheels. My mum gave us the money and the, the list, went up to Sainsbury's and the three of us, three of us were coming back with the shopping. They, this is the police. They stopped. They put us up against the fence. They emptied the trolley, put everything on the pavement. Now, you know, how black people is with dirt on their food, right? They put everything on the pavement. And when they didn't find anything, they just got back in their car mm. and drove off. I'm like, what? Oh, so, Amara, does any of this ring, to, ring true? I'm not only ring true, but does any of this, are you aware of this type of thing that happened in that era, you know, growing up in the time we are now? You know, do you see any similarities between your lived experience? 
Yeah, obviously some a lot of similar stuff happened just with a lot of the black guys that I know. It's quite scary actually. Um, I'm not too sure about my mothers. I think I was too young when that was happening. But I feel like there were some instances mm -hmm. with Pierce and Kieran. So yeah, even though they're the protective ones, I still worry about them a lot. And yeah, a lot of my black guy friends that I know from church or from school, I just hear stories about them getting stopped and searched. And you know, when the Euros were on, that was a really, really scary time because I know a lot of my guy friends were out, obviously watching football. And afterwards, it was late and I was hearing stories about people getting thrown into the Thames and all of this. And it was, it was scary. I was like up all night waiting for all of them to get home. I was like, please, like, please get home. I was like calling their mums and stuff. I was really, really worried. That was tense that night. Absolutely. So scary. Thank you so much for joining us and, and letting us into your world a little bit. I fully appreciate that, you know, this is a life that you've lived and, and you, what you've done is really open the door and even I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm looking at your daughter and I'm thinking I would love to have that that relationship with you know somebody and, and, and extend my family in that way it's something that I've considered for many years but I think I need to you know really demystify and the course sounds amazing I'm pretty sure Nina and I will probably end up on that course somehow because I think just the awareness of the impact of children the legacy of our own choices and the things that we've experienced we have to go through and do that for our children and it's amazing that you can you know, extend your family in this way. And you're right, this, this has been going on for generations. You know, there's always an extended family member that becomes, you know, you, on the front line and they end up, you know, moving in for a couple of months, even if it's like for six months to, you know, to they need shelter from their existing family. There's all these different dynamics that happen. And I think somehow we've kind of like paid attention way too much to headlines and forgotten the families that we, we've come from. And actually there is a healthy way to do it. Nina, is there any thoughts from your yourself or any last questions? Yeah, I just wanted to hear from Amara for any anyone listening that is thinking about adoption, what would you like to say to them? I would say that black kids in the care system are not treated very nicely. They're not given good opportunities, they're not encouraged. I was called slow when I was just two years old. Like, how can you call a two-year-old slow? That doesn't even make any sense. So I can only imagine how much worse that gets as they get older, especially the boys. So I'd say, like, if you have the opportunity to take a child out of that and give them opportunities, send them to a good school, encourage them, love them, and build them up so we get more black professionals in the workplace and give them someone to look up to outside of rappers and drug dealers. Like, you know, be that parental figure, that strong black woman, strong black man that they can look up to and be like, I want to be just like them when I grow up. Like, you have to do that. You've got to adopt them. And would you ever think about adoption for yourself in the future? Yeah, definitely. Me and my brothers. We talk about it. Three of us want to adopt. That's really nice to hear. It's a powerful legacy. Brilliant. Thank you all for, for joining. Um, we'll have more information on our Instagram about adoption to help demystify on where to go find out more information. And we'll be posting some of these clips as well so people can get you know some of the key segments. So I really appreciate you being so open and forthcoming with your stories. Lovely to speak to you. We're happy to be part of your, of your journey. So anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dope Black Moms. 
If you'd like to join the Dope Black Mums private Facebook group, please search Dope Black Mums on Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Please follow on all socials at Dope Black Mums. Thanks so much for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.